conclude our series last week on rightly dividing the word. Um, that was a, uh, a blessing. I got rid of about half the weight in my notebook, so it's easier to carry around now, um, getting the, the, the notes out of there. But we're going back to a series we've been working on, uh, I believe, since 2018. Uh, I started with the, the young people, the teens, and kind of been working our way through the alphabet, looking at things that we can overcome as believers. The title of the series is More Than Conquerors, and uh, we have the ability through Christ to overcome things in our life. He's given us the victory, and that's the idea of this lesson. And we're looking at different topics throughout the Bible that God says we can, we can overcome. And as we've worked our way through the alphabet, we're now at the letter R. And we're going to look this morning at the topic of overcoming rebellion. Overcoming rebellion. Now, as, we, uh, as I approached this topic, I was somewhat uh, relaxed about the, uh, about the topic. You know, rebellion, at least the way we look at it, we think about it, is, is something that's, that's a sin far away from a, a good Christian. I mean, even a, even a nominal Christian, right? You, you're, rebellion is not really something that you, you would characterize uh, with, uh, with a um, Christian who's just, you know, being faithful to God, but maybe has some things that they're sure uh, in in one area or another. Uh, it's not really a sin that we associate with ourselves uh, or with our church, but as we, um, you know, when we're looking at the idea of, of a rebel, uh, what really jumps into, what jumps into mind? Not, not, a, not a person who comes to church on Sunday morning, um, but it's somebody, we, we think of uh, the rebellious uh, type, a rebel, of someone who, I remember hearing a story recently of a man talking about being a teenager, and his dad told him, said, you're not going to be lazy anymore, you're going to have to, this summer, he was 17 years old, this summer you have to get a job, or you're going to have to go into the military. He said, oh, I didn't want anybody to tell me when I had to get up, tell me what kind of a uniform I needed to wear tell me where I needed to go, where I needed to be, so I thought I'd just give that military thing a try um, and, and skip, out on the, skip out on the job um, for that. Uh, when we hear the word rebel, we often think of the stereotypical bad young person with all kinds of piercings, tattoos, they wear motorcycles, they wear black leather, they live counter-culturally. A rebel is someone that lives at the very edge of what is acceptable. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. They want, don't want to conform to any norms. Often those who break taboos and reject standards are, fall into the category of rebels. Uh, kind of a side note, but have you ever noticed that those who are so focused on being independent uh, that they all look and act the same way? Um, they're just gonna, not going to have anybody tell them what to do, but they all look the same, they all dress the same, they all talk the same, they all act the same, um, and, but that's uh, just the nature of it. Those types of rebels and uh, that type of rebellion is very easy to spot. But this is not where God draws the line for rebellion of what a rebel is or where rebellion starts. We're going to be looking at probably the most familiar verse in the Bible on rebellion, and we're going to see from this story what God calls uh, what God calls rebellion. And as we look at this, I'm afraid we're going to see that rebellion is not as far away as we may think uh, that it is. But let's look at the verse we're going to start with today in First Samuel 15, verse number 23. First Samuel 15, verse number 23. It says, "For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft." And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Let's open a word of prayer. Lord, we love you and we thank you for uh, today and the uh, time we have to look at your word. I pray you would open our eyes about this sin of rebellion that we would see. Uh, if it is something that is trying to take root in our heart or in our lives or in our church, Lord, and we should uh, turn away from it and be wholly submitted to you and your word. Lord, we ask that you bless our time around your word this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Normally at this point I would go into kind of the background of a text and, and what's going on here, but we're going to save that for a minute. We're going to look at that in our second point. I want to just start with this idea of what rebellion is. What is, what is rebellion? How do, how do we define it? What does the Bible characterize rebellion as? Rebellion in its simplest form or definition is resistance to authority. Resistance to authority. This is how the Webster's Dictionary defines it. Resistance to authority. In order for rebellion to take place, you need three things. You need an authority, you need a subordinate, and you need to have the subordinate resist that authority. It doesn't have to be an outright rejection of authority. It doesn't have to be an attempt to overthrow the authority. You don't have to shave your head and get into a fight with a staple gun. The subordinate just needs to resist the authority that is in their life. And we'll see in the story um, of Saul here how that takes place in his life. Whenever the will of a subordinate conflicts with the will of an authority, uh, rebellion has begun. I'm sure you've heard this story before, but the story is told of two battleships that were assigned to the training squadron, and they'd been at sea in heavy weather for several days. The man telling the story said, I was serving on the lead battleship, and I was on watch on the bridge as the night fell. The visibility was poor with the patchy fog, and the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all the activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported, light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern, the captain called out. The lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. Then the captain called to the signalman, signal that ship. We're on a collision course. Advise you change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, send, I am a captain. Change course 20 degrees. I am a seaman, second class, came the reply. You need to change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious. He spat out, send, I am a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. The light came back. I am a lighthouse. So we changed our course. Um, And so you are... Authority. Who, who's in charge? Who gets, to, who gets to make the decisions? So the rebellion, that's just the simple definition. It's just the resistance to authority. But we see, we can learn a lot about something by what it's characterized with, what its associations are. Um, it's, it's kind of the idea of you, you can judge a person by the friends that they have. You look at somebody and you see the kind of people they hang around with, it tells you something uh, about their nature. Uh, you can see this in, in especially true with rebellion when it comes to young people. Often if we go to a, a conference or a, a something like the summer camp with the young people, somebody will get up at some point and make the comment that you can see who the rebels are because they'll immediately congregate together. No matter who they are or what church they're from, they'll find each other and they'll make a group and you'll have a problem with that, that group all week. But what about rebellion itself? When we look in the Bible, we see rebellion has its own group of companions, its own group that it, that it spends time with or, or hangs out with, if we could put it that way. And Samuel records them for us in our text verse that we read uh, to begin with in verse number 23. It says in verse number 23 again, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. He makes an association there. He said that's very similar. There, there's a lot of things that they share. There are a lot of things they have in common when you look at, when you look at rebellion and you look at witchcraft. This, this idea of witchcraft in this verse is the practice of divination. It's uh, the idea of fortune telling or, or tarot cards, um, horoscopes, things like that. By the way, all of that and anything associated with it is extremely wicked and dangerous, and no Christian should have anything to do with it. And that includes watching it for entertainment. Witchcraft is something that God takes very seriously, and it's not entertaining, it's not funny, it's not decoration, uh, it's, it's wicked, and we should stay away from it. 
And we look at witchcraft, what's its primary association? It's connected with the devil. We'll discuss that more in a moment, but the Bible says rebellion is just like that, just like witchcraft. That's how God says, if I'm looking for rebellion, I'm going to find witchcraft somewhere there uh, as far as in the, in, this, in the same realm. He also makes the word, uses the word uh, stubbornness. It says rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. So this is another one. Stubbornness is, kind of goes hand in hand with rebellion. They're, they're like brothers. They, they go together. A rebel is someone who's set in his ways. He's unwilling to change regardless of what the authority has to say about it. It's just the stubbornness, the obstinance. I'm not going to comply. I'm not going to do what I know I'm supposed to do. So you see stubbornness is an association with rebellion. Iniquity. Stubbornness, it says there is as iniquity uh, in the verse. Iniquity and idolatry. So another association. You look at rebellion, you see witchcraft, you see stubbornness, and you see iniquity. Now iniquity is one of the Bible words for sin. When you look at how the Bible describes sin, it gives three words primarily. There are other words that are used as well, but primarily three. We have sin, we have iniquity. Does anybody remember the third one? Transgression. There's a transgression. So these are the three most common uh, words for sin in the Bible. Now, sin, just the word sin, uh, it carries the idea of missing the mark. It, it's, it's a stumbling. It's, it's, it's a mistake. It's something that you've done. You've done it that, it that it was wrong, but you don't see it as much of a, a sinful attitude behind it. It's just you did, you did what was wrong. That's the idea of sin. Then you have transgression. That's kind of the next level. Transgression means to cross the line, meaning you knew the line was there and you made the choice to step across the line. That's kind of how the word transgression is portrayed in the Bible. Now, iniquity, when you look at its root word, it carries the idea of of to twist. And what iniquity does is it takes the sin that I've done and I've crossed the line, but I have twisted it to justify it to myself why I am right and the authority is wrong. That's this idea of iniquity. I'm twisting it. I'm twisting scripture. I'm twisting the circumstances. I'm twisting the situation. I'm justifying my sin to myself. So even though I know I've done wrong, I don't think it's wrong for me to do. That's this, that's this idea of sin. I heard it explained this way one time in the context of a basketball free throw. Uh, a sin would be like taking the free throw and missing. That's, that's what I usually do when I take a free throw. Um, that's, that's the idea of sin. Transgression is that you didn't really like the call, so you threw the bas- basketball against the backboard as hard as you could. Um, you weren't trying to make the shot anyway because you just didn't like how the call went. Iniquity would be to take the basketball, turn around, and throw it at the referee. Uh, that's kind of the, the, tra- the level of, of how these sins progress. And iniquity is this idea that's associated with rebellion, that there's a twisting, there's a resting of, of scripture, of, of the circumstances to justify why I'm right to do wrong. And that's what the iniquity is. And here it is associated with the idea of rebellion. The last association we see in this verse is that it is idolatry. So there's iniquity and idolatry. And if we look at idolatry in the Bible, God describes it or compares it in the Bible and he, he portrays it as spiritual adultery. That's what idolatry is. So, so how is it spiritual adultery? It's taking the affection that belongs to God and giving it to something else. That's what, you, that's what idolatry is, is God deserves or God is owed a, a affection. He's owed something from me and I take what, what I owe to God and I give it to something else. And that, again, is tied right here with this word about rebellion. So rebellion is a very serious thing and I think we all understand that. But looking at it here in the context and seeing its companions, rebellion is always associated with these things and rebellion will lead to these other sins as well. And it reminds us of how serious this sin is. And we need to keep that seriousness in mind as we continue to def- biblically describe what God calls rebellion. 
Because when we get to what God said rebellion was, we're going to be tempted to think, well, that wasn't that big of a deal. But God said it was rebellion, and rebellion's a very big deal. And so we need, to, we need to keep that seriousness in mind as we continue the study this morning. Rebellion, not only is it a, um, a resistance to authority, we saw rebellion's companions in witchcraft, idolatry, stubbornness, and iniquity, but rebellion is rooted in pride. It is the claim that I know more than the authorities in my life. If we go to that, back to that stereotypical rebel, we can clearly see the pride in their attitude. They know better than everyone else. This is one of the main uh, sins that, that are causing the major problems we see in our culture. Uh, people today think they know better than everyone else. They can break all standards. They can break all norms. They can break all rules. They can defy all authority because they, they know better. They know better than those who've come before us. They know better than those who are going to come after us. We're a very proud uh, generation. Because of their pride in their intelligence, they've become one of the dumbest groups of people in history. Uh, that people can't tell the difference between a, a boy and a girl. There are people who are sitting in our government today, all the way to the highest levels, that don't know the difference between men or women, or think men can get pregnant. Um, that, is, that is common in our culture today because people are so proud and arrogant. The Bible describes this in Romans chapter 1, verse number 22, where the Bible says that um, professing themselves to be wise... They became fools. Uh, that's, the, that's the, what happens when they go away in pride, thinking they know better than all their authority. It's rebellion. It's rebellion ultimately against God. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And one thing that that means is that wisdom starts with fearing God. And you look at our culture, they've rejected God. They've rejected the fear of God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And what does that lead to? There's no wisdom. Because you have to fear the Lord to, to find wisdom. And, and they don't have that. Because they've rebelled against it. Re- rebellion is pride, raising up oneself against an authority. And we see in the Bible that rebellion started with Satan. We don't have time to look at it today, but rebellion started with Satan. You think of the, the, of the story that's described for us as he had the attitude that he was going to raise himself up against God's authority. And, and we see the pride there. We see the rebellion and we see Satan casted out of heaven for exalting himself against the authority of God. And then what did he do in the garden? He took that rebellion and he brought it down to mankind. He went to Adam and Eve, and what did he say? Half God said. Does God really have the authority to tell you what to do? Can God, can God tell you what you can eat and what you can't eat? God's only doing that because he doesn't want what's best for you. If you eat this, you'll be like God's. And you can just reject God's authority and do what you want to do because you know better than God does. And he, brought, um, what she, he said, what you want is more important than what God said to do. So he bought, brought the rebellion that he had in heaven, and he brought it down to man on earth. And we've been dealing with it ever since. So rebellion, we see it started with Satan, it's rooted in pride, it's associated with this other evil, um, and it's just defined as resistance to authority. Now we see our second point this morning is rebellion depicted. We see it here in the life of Saul. What does God call rebellion? What, what, what needs to take place for rebellion to be there? First of all, we see the command in verses 1 through 3 of 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 3. Samuel said also unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not. Slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And we see there God's instructions. Go to this group of people, 
kill every single one of them and all of their animals. Very clear instructions. There, there's no question there in what God wanted to do or God wanted Saul to do. No ambiguity, no room for private interpretation. Saul the subordinate has his instructions from God the authority. Then we see in the next couple of verses the commission of his rebellion. What, that, what, did, he, what did he do? This is where Saul rebelled. Did he, what did he do? Did he stomp off and say, no one can tell me what to do? Then he went and dyed his hair green, pierced his nose, and joined a rock band? Because that's what it takes to be a rebel, right? No, verses 4 through 9, he says there, Saul gathered the people together, numbered them. Verse number 5, he came to the city of Amalek. Verse number um, 7, he smote the, Amaleks, uh, the, the Amalekites. Verse number 8, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was violent refused, they, utter, they destroyed utterly. See, what Saul did, he did almost everything God told him to do. We're not told how many Amalekites there were, but Saul brought an army of 210,000 men to go fight against the Amalekites. So if Amalek only had a fourth of the soldiers, somewhere around 50,000 soldiers, and only three-quarters of them uh, were married, and they haven't had an average of three kids, and the only one that Saul didn't kill was King um, Agag, uh, the king of Agag, Saul did mathematically 99.9995% of what God told him to do. He did 99.9995% of what God told him to do. We also know that he spared the best of the animals, so let's, let's lower that a little bit. Saul did 99.999% of what God had told him to do. But what did he do? He changed what God had commanded. He thought he knew better than God. He thought he knew what God really wanted. In pride, he justified his disobedience. When God gives instructions, he's not satisfied with 99.999% obedience. We have no right to change what God has commanded. We have no right to lift up our own thoughts against the word of God. What happens when what you think run contrary to what God said? What happens when what you think runs contrary to what God said? I talked to somebody earlier this week about the Catholic Church. They were asking questions about the Catholic Church and some of the differences uh, between there. And you go down to the very, very uh, uh, basis of where, where the, the, the differences start, and it has to do with the question of authority. We take the sole authority for faith and practice is the Bible. That makes us biblicists. That makes us Baptists. That the Bible decides what we do. Now, what, it, what Catholic theology says or claims is that they put church tradition on the same level of authority as the Bible. But here's the problem. What happens when the two disagree? Something has to take priority. If every time church doctrine disagree with the Bible and they say, well, we're going to do what the Bible says, they'd be biblicists. But that's not how it works. When church doctrine contradicts the Bible, they go with church doctrine. And that's why they're so different than what we are, so different than what the Bible is, because they have a higher authority than the Bible. What about, instead of talking about the Catholic Church, what about how I think things should be and what God said things should be? When those two contradict, which one, which one takes the authority? When what God says contradicts what I think, which one has, which one has authority? Saul said, I know what God said, but I think he'd like me to save the king. And so he said, my, my thoughts are elevated above God's word. Uh, God said to do this with all the animals, but 
I, I see why God would want the bad ones, the, 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 the vile animals killed, but God really would like us to save the best one. So my, what I think is more important than what God said. And that's the root. It's the resistance to authority, even though he did 99.999% of what God said. It's the fact that when God, what God said contradicted what Saul thought, Saul said, well, I'm going to do what I think instead of what God said. That's, that's where rebellion comes into play. So we see his cover-up next. When, he, when Samuel comes to him in verses 15 to 10 through 15, uh, the first thing Saul does is say, Hey, Samuel, I did everything God said to do. That's how he greeted Samuel. And Samuel didn't ask. Hey, just, Saul just volunteered that information. You ever met somebody that, uh, that lied preemptively um, about, what was, about what, was going, uh, what was going on? You kind of makes you wonder, hold on a minute, why are you, why are you telling me? I didn't, I didn't ask this. He volunteered the information before um, Saul even asked, or Samuel even asked. Uh, it'd be like me running in from the parking lot and saying, Brother Matt, I don't know what happened to your car. He'd be, he'd be like, well, what happened to my car? <laughs> I just told you, I don't know what happened to your car. Um, you know, that's what, that's what Saul did. Samuel, I did everything God said to do. Okay, what's the, what's the bleeding that I hear of the sheep? So Saul, Saul started by lying. He, he knew he had done wrong, so he was lying about it. That's a good, good way to test if you are, have done wrong or not. Are you trying to hide it? Well, I don't see any problem with it. I just don't want everybody knowing that I do it. Okay, well, then that's probably a good indication that it's wrong. Because the Bible says, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. We see, secondly, he blamed. Lying didn't work because the sheep told on him. Next thing he did was blame somebody else. Well, the people made me do it. It's the same strategy that Adam and Eve tried. This is one characteristic of rebellion, that nothing's ever their fault. It's not my fault. It's this. It's this. And they want to point to something else. And then he tried to spiritualize it when blaming didn't work. Well, I was going to sacrifice them. Well, which was it? Did you do all God said to do? Did the people make you do it? Or were you saving them for a sacrifice? Saul was just trying to cover up his sin because he knew he'd done wrong. We see the cause in verses 16 to 19. The cause was that Saul was proud. Samuel said to him, when thou wast little in thine own sight, that's when God elevated you to be king. What's that mean? Well, you're not little in your own sight anymore. You've gotten too big for your britches, as we say down south. That you, you think, think too highly of yourself and of your own opinions. We see the disobedience. Samuel told Saul that he did not obey the command of the Lord. Here's another thing we didn't see in the rest of the story, but Samuel tells him, you flew upon the spoil. Uh, there's greed there. There's selfishness there. Saul didn't go to get that for God and for a sacrifice. That was the cover-up. Saul wanted that for himself. Um, and there was selfishness there involved in his rebellion. He wanted what was best, what he thought was best for him, regardless of what God said. And we also see the fear of man. It said he feared the people in verse number 24. When we are more worried about the opinions of men that we can see, then we are worried about the opinion of God who sees all. We will always get our lives off track. The Bible puts it this way, the fear of man bringeth a snare. We saw the characterization all well already, how Samuel described his rebellion, that it was as witchcraft, as idolatry, stubbornness, iniquity, um, and rejection of God's word. He said, you've, you've, you've rejected the word of the Lord. And then we see the consequences. He lost his position. He could no longer be king. He lost his fellowship. Samuel said, you're not going to see me anymore. He lost his usefulness. God rejected him as the king um, of Israel. And he, there was a loss of pleasure. If you look at the last verse of the chapter, it says, it repented the Lord that he had made Saul king of Israel. God was sorry that he had put Saul in the position that he had. It repented the Lord. 
I don't ever want to be in the position that God is sorry that he's worked in my life or he's given me a position or he's given me an opportunity to use him that, he, that it's going to repent the Lord. Um, he's going to be sad about that. You know, there's a, verse, a very powerful verse in Hebrews 11 that says, the end of the verse says, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. That the way they acted was in such a way that God says, Yeah, you can call that. I'm their God. I'm their God. He wasn't ashamed of it, but that wasn't the case here with Saul. It says he repented the, repented the Lord that he'd made Saul king. It's uh, it like a parent who, who, who's, dis, who's been uh, uh, embarrassed by their children's behavior. They're not too proud to be claimed as the parent of that child. But when the child does well and is excelling, that's when the parent says, Yeah, that's, that's my kid. That's, he's my kid. That's the way God says that there's times when we act a certain way. God says, yes, I'm glad to be called their God. Not here with Saul. And that's with rebellion, where Saul said, what I think is more important than what God said. Lastly, this morning, we're going to go to rebellion defeated. And if you think we're moving quickly, it's because we're trying to finish early. uh, So we have more time to get ready for the uh, greeting our, our guests as they come in. But real quickly here, rebellion defeated. How do we overcome rebellion in our life? Starts with repentance. In order to repent of sin, you have to recognize your disobedience. Recognize your sin. You have to admit it is sin to get victory over it. A lot of things that we have in culture today, we don't want to call it a sin. Well, that's just a problem that I'm dealing with. That's something I, just that I struggle with. That's, that's just the way that, that I am. And we justify our behavior, but we don't call it sin because that makes us feel bad. But you can't have victory over that Unless it's a sin. Because Christ died to give you victory over sin. He can give you forgiveness of sin, so you have to admit your problem. Okay, well, well, I know that's just, that's just the way I am. When, when this, this is how I think that God wants to behave. And I, don't, I know that's what God says, but here's what I think. No, you have to say, you know what? I've got rebellion and it is sin because I've been exalting what I think above what God said. Recognize the disobedience. Saul repented, quote-unquote, in this passage. But he never took responsibility for his sin. He continued to blame the people. Um, so he did not recognize his sin. You need to also reject the disobedience. Saul continued to make excuses for how he had behaved and what he had done. And he didn't go remedy the problem. Samuel had to remedy the problem. Saul wasn't getting rid of the problem. He just wanted his position back. And then you repent. So you recognize the disobedience, reject the disobedience, and repent of the disobedience. Then you need humility. Humility is put yourself back underneath the authority of God. Humility, take your, your thoughts down a notch and submit them to God again. Saul was not interested in getting right. He was interested in keeping his position. He asked Samuel in his, quote, repentance to honor him in front of the people. We saw already that pride is the basis of a rebellion. If you're unwilling to give up your pride, you will continue to hold on to your rebellion. Thirdly, we see that there is submission. You have to put yourself back under the authority of God. There's an expression that was popularized some time ago. It was on bumper stickers. I heard it turned into songs and other things. The expression was, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Submission takes the I out of the statement. God said it, that settles it. There are many things I don't fully understand and that I'm unable to explain about God. But if it's in this book, it's true whether I understand it, comprehend it, can explain it, believe it, or any of that, it's still true because God said it. That's submission. That even if I don't agree, well, the Bible says that, but man, I'd really rather do something else. Okay, submission is I'm going to do what God said. No matter what I think. If you're going to overcome rebellion, you must be willing to make God the final authority. He has to be the authority over your experiences, over your emotions, over your own thoughts. Well, yeah, I know this is what the Bible says, but this is what happened to me. Okay, well, which one's the authority? What happened to you or what God said? 
And then it requires faithfulness. If you're going to stay away from rebellion, you must be faithful to do what God said to do every time. Complete obedience, not 99.999%. We look at rebellion and we see how wicked it is, the evil, the iniquity, the, the witchcraft, all those associates say, wow, rebellion is really bad. And then we say, God says, rebellion is doing 99.99% of what I told you to do. Well, that's not too bad. God said,